0: Welcome to the Ditch the Suits podcast, where we get real about the stuff no one in the financial world wants you to know about. Learn how you can better manage your family's wealth while protecting it from financial exploitation and so-called financial advisors. Here's to your financial awakening. Welcome your hosts, Steve Campbell and Travis Moss. Well, welcome to another edition of Ditch the Suits podcast. Steve Campbell here with you. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about part two in our three-part investment series. Uh, In part one, we talked about this idea that a lot of investors have a big dilemma right now. Travis and I talked about all the headlines and news that's out there that can be very confusing. It can be very scary. And a lot of people that invest money in the stock market through a workplace retirement plan or an IRA or a Roth account are wondering, what in the world should I be doing with my investments? So we want to add context to the idea of why do we actually invest and what's the purpose of it? So if you missed episode one, go back and listen. But today in episode two of this uh, three-part series, we're going to talk about this idea of FOMO investing. If you've never heard of FOMO, it's the fear of missing out. And we have a serious question, whether you work with one or you're thinking of hiring one, does your financial advisor actually know what they're talking about when it comes to investments? How can you tell We're going to give you 13 questions today that you can ask your advisor that will help you be better prepared to know if this is the right person you should be doing business with. So these are going to be 13 questions. We're going to walk you through them. But if for some reason you miss these 13 questions because you're listening at home or you're driving in your car, I'm going to put a link in the description of this podcast. You can email me and I'd be happy to send you these 13 questions because again, our sole purpose is to come on here to inspire you to go out and live your best life. As always, if you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review. You never know how your comment can make somebody else a believer because we all get one shot at this thing called life. It's your money and it's your life. We hope this inspires you to make some good decisions. Stay tuned. FOMO, also known as the fear of missing out. Maybe you've heard this term or maybe you didn't realize that sometimes psychologically you deal with this. FOMO is the idea of what if you miss out on an opportunity and it causes you to actually make an emotional decision? The fear that if you don't pull the trigger and buy that house, you're never going to have a house like that. Or fear of if you don't move into that neighborhood now, you're never going to move into that neighborhood. FOMO is this thing, and we as consumers are preyed on upon this by individuals and companies who get us to think if we miss this sale, we're never going to get a sale like this again. Well, did you know that as an investor, there's also potentially FOMO, and you may not even realize that you are being feared into doing things that maybe you realize you don't know whether you should be doing or not. So I want to turn it to Travis to talk about this idea of FOMO as an investor, where it comes from, how do we recognize it, and how do we work through it so we're not making emotional decisions that can jeopardize us, but we can start to take ownership of our life.
1: So I'm gonna throw out something that some people will probably be bothered by or offended by. That's go for it. You know, that's me though. That's what I do, right? That's Um, why we're here. Ditch the suit. Let's go. (laughs) The in my opinion, the vast majority. Of the entire financial advisor industry mm-hmm. is focused on creating FOMO yep. to their clients. Yep. If you're not working with me, you're not gonna know the opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. You're not. You're not gonna ha- know what to buy or when to buy things, or you're not gonna have as good returns, or you know, if the market does bad, you're not gonna know what to do, or yep. you're not gonna be suc- successful. In it's you have to realize that. The majority of the financial industry is all about asset gathering. Everybody is not everybody, but the vast majority in industry, something like over ninety percent of it, is either commissions or fees based on selling assets. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's a product like an annuity or whether it's an investment management program, where they're making a percentage off of it, that's how they're getting compensated. It's how they're keeping their jobs. It's how they're getting their benefits. So all the training, and I can tell you this from experience, both from being trained and training people in in management and in the profession, um, back to our broker-dealer days, when I first entered the the, uh, financial world, so much of it is just focused on helping people get to the buying decision. Mm -hmm. That's just the sales part of it. I started to push back early in my career because I was working for a company that was essentially owned by an insurance company. So part of the, the product suite that we had was annuities and life insurances, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was first hired, I'd walk around the room and I'd ask people, you know, about the products and stuff that we were selling. And the people that had been there doing that for years ahead of me actually didn't understand the products that they were selling. Mm-hmm. But they knew every single way that they could get paid Yep. They knew the ways that the client would pay them more and the justification was, but they're working with me. And it's like, "But what are you bringing special to the table? Right. Well, I'm there for them. I go to their house. I visit with them. I'm their friend or whatever. Very little of it was about the depth or the breadth of the financial planning. Yep. So in the financial industry, the, the advice part of it, in my opinion, the vast majority of the people that you're working with are salespeople. Some of them are very noble in their cause. They don't even realize what they're doing. They've been trained very well. They've been trained that they're helping people. And really, they're just selling products. They're selling somebody else's products, whether they work for a mutual fund syndicate and they've just been trained to sell the mutual funds and all of their investments are bad, but the mutual funds, or whether it's annuities or whether it's the bank channel, whatever it is, somebody taught them, essentially, this is the stuff you should sell. This is when you should sell it. This is how to close the sale. And this is why this is important to you. And then you have you know, the salespeople running around saying, I'm a financial advisor, a financial professional. Yep. So it's it's really convoluted because we are thinking that if you're a financial advisor, you must be a fiduciary. So how do you, you know, peel the onion on this? How do you figure out this person says all the right things? They're, they're very good at, you know, they look the part, they sound the part, they talk the part. But, you know, should I be concerned that they're just trying to sell me whatever their company's having them sell that day? And you get people who say, well, I'm independent, so I have no pressure on me to sell. only, they still have to make a paycheck. right? So just because there's not a parent company saying what they have to sell, that just means that they're deciding what to sell. Yep. And, uh, you know, I want to give people some, some later on here, I want to give people some, we'll call them interview questions, some ways to kind of ferret some of this out. Yep. Yeah. But at the end of the day, and I, and I, again, I've worked with lots of financial, I, I interview them all the time too. You know, as we are building our company and building our team, yep. we have advisors coming to us all the time. And they're, we talk about what is financial planning, investment theories, all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you that the vast majority of financial advisors that I've met don't actually understand investing at all. They're just simply selling whatever story. It's a script. They've yep. been taught a script. And if you don't believe me, get them off script, knock them off script, start poking at the advice. I did this one time with a wholesaler. He was in, he was talking about bonds and he was talking about how bonds were the greatest things since sliced bread and how we should all buy these particular mutual funds. And I knocked him off script and he like just started a battle. He didn't know what to say. There was like, there was the conversation was over and then he didn't like me anymore. He didn't want to talk to me, but they're selling the script. They're trying to tell you a story to win trust. So they get you with FOMO because you're afraid by the time you know, they've gone through everything that you're going to miss out on that. And, and that sounded really good. Yep. And um, you're either going to miss out on the upside, or you're going to miss out on protecting the downside, or, you know, uh, if you pay fees, you're going to miss out on additional return because nobody can do better than an index, which is just a blatant falsehood or not paying fees is going to be missing out on, on valuable information, which the question is, is what the heck is valuable information?
0: All right. Well, and I, you touched on a word that we we throw around so regularly because it's how we act as a fiduciary. And maybe you've read some uh, magazines and you know that maybe you should be working with a fiduciary, but maybe the vast majority doesn't truly understand what a fiduciary is. So we don't want to just say a term and you know assume everybody understands. A fiduciary is legally obligated to work in your best interests, and you would think then why do you go hire a so-called financial advisors? Because you do something for a living and investing is not your area of expertise. So the hope is that you are going to hire a professional that is legally bound to work in your best interests, but you'd be shocked to, to realize that most financial advisors, financial professionals, financial salespeople are not fiduciaries, but they look the part, they talk the part, they dress mm-hmm. really nice. And so you assume that, man, they must really know what they're talking about because they're quote unquote successful compared to what though, right? So people go out because they want to, at the end of the day, make good decisions. Uh, They want to know that they're doing okay. So unless they're there, that they're the do-it-yourselfer, they understand that they need help which kudos to you, if you're listening to this and you understand that maybe it's time to engage with a financial planner or to bring somebody else into your marriage that can help steer the conversation and help you have healthier conversations, kudos to you for acknowledging that you probably need help at this point in your life. But then you go to look for help and in, in, unless you understand what to look for or to spot you know, what it is that you're really looking for, most people don't have that ability. So you meet with a financial person you come in and share your hopes and dreams they cut to the chase very quickly and ask you how much money you have and then you start they start to ask you about your experience with investing and what do they do they begin to create a narrative and you don't realize this by the way they ask you questions to get you to admit things that you're afraid if the market crashes you're afraid that you buy the wrong investment you're you're afraid that if your if your spouse predeceases you you don't know what to do with your money and then by the end, when the big close comes, they repeat back to you what you said. Well, because you acknowledge that you're afraid of the stock market crashes, let me show you this XYZ product, this annuity that can help guarantee that, you know, or let me sell you this life insurance product so that you know if you don't come home today, well, so-and-so is taken care of. And you go, oh, okay, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that makes that sense, right? Because, why wouldn't I do that? Right. But you know what? You got to do it now. Right. Because we got to make sure you're well taken. And you don't know that you might be being sold a bag of goods. So why is this called ditch the suits? Right. Because we've ditched our suits as professionals. We were all trained in a way at various companies to do the same thing, become really good storytellers and find a way to help bring quote unquote solutions to people but to understand what you may be looking for is somebody to work in your best interest. That's a noble thing. But I know, Travis, you want to share then. How do you begin to know what you're looking for so you can either determine that's what you currently have or that maybe it might be time for a change?
1: I think you said something I think that is really important to discuss on nuance, though, real quick before we do that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about how, you know, you go through this interview process and they ask you lots of questions and they find out about your concerns and then they kind of use it against you and they go right into some kind of product sale. Yep. And, and, and I can tell you, you know, and I, and I do this quite often. I'm interviewing advisors that want to come work for us. I ask them how, how long does it take you to do a financial plan? And they'll say something like eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, maybe 15 hours, maybe one or two meetings. I said, well, geez, you know, it takes us 30 hours to do a financial plan on average, I wonder what the difference is. I wonder what we're doing and you're not doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because I don't know how you're shortening it, right? Because I know the things that we would like to get to that we barely even have the time to get to in that 30 hours and in that initial 30 hours. And what you find out is that short-term financial plan is very quickly followed by a product sale. Yep. It's, so how do you know, because everybody's going to ask, if they are any good, they're going to ask you a lot of questions. And they're going to find out what's important to you. And that's important. You don't want to work with an advisor who doesn't know what's important to you. But how do you make sure they don't use it against you? How quickly is the product sale, the actual buy this annuity, or make a decision on your investments that, that you really, it's hard to unwind, you know, or some kind of commissions associated or very, very large fee other than you know, a fee related to the actual advice itself. How quickly are you being asked to make a purchasing decision to a specific product in relation to this so-called financial advice? Yeah. And what you're going to see, the shorter that is, probably the more likely, you're just being sold whatever's on the menu. Mm. It's like you walk into the restaurant and you open up the menu and there's one thing on the menu. It's, it's 20 pages long, but there's literally only one thing on every page. It's the same thing. Or do you walk into the restaurant you open the menu and the menu is full of different options? And you say, well, what, you know, to the waitress, waiter or waitress, I don't know what to pick. And they start saying, well, what do you like? Well, do you like things that are bitter? Do you like things that are spicy? Do you like, you know, and they start to actually create a profile for you and help you pick the right item on the right page as opposed to, I'm going to help you pick the page, but no matter what page you pick, you're going to get the same answer, right? So uh, number one, I think is, being aware of when does the sale part come in? Mm-hmm. Is the sale the advisor is the sale the product? Um number two, you know, I I was watching the Tennessee game this weekend and one of the commercials popped up and uh it was for an investment company. I got to call out the investment company, but I'll call out their ad. And they said that they're a unique firm. They do things a unique way so you should hire them because they only put their clients' interests, the best interests first. And the way that they charge their fees is in a way that they make more money as their clients do better. And therefore, they're a unique firm and they should be trusted. Okay, let's undress that for a second. Again, this is back to what we're talking about. By regulation, by law right now, all advisors have to follow best interest standards when they're talking about retirement accounts. So, if I'm advertising to you my investments and I say that I have to put your interests first um, because I'm a quote fiduciary, we can get into fiduciary. We've done this on different episodes, but fiduciary is a broad term and I cover, you know, it's very broad as to what level of fiduciary responsibility they have. The idea of putting your best interests first is a regulatory requirement. Because they also charge on what's called the AUM or assets under management model. That's the only way they charge. They charge a, a fee, a percentage of your investments. Yep. That is not unique. That is what the like 90 plus percent of the registered investment advisory industry, that's how they charge. And the vast majority now of the broker industry is quickly going to that fee range. The way that they said it might be unique, but there is absolutely... nothing special about that and nothing that would say to me if I were a consumer. These people are doing something special for me. So you, but it looks good. It sounds good. It's clean. It's crisp. How do I pull back from that and, you know, not embarrass myself, but figure out, you know, is this somebody, is this a place that's, that's really going to put my best interests first? Like they say, they're gonna, right? Because it's broad. Put your best interests first. I'll answer the phone for you when you call over somebody else. What does, or, or I'll tell you if you shouldn't invest with us, maybe you should invest with a different company. I've never met a firm that does that, but I would assume that that's part of putting your interest first. So when it, when it comes to investing, I think that people should interview their financial advisor, investment manager, whatever they want to call it, insurance agent, whoever they're working to, with to invest for them. Yep. Because they're doing something for you that you don't know how to do Yep. Right, or don't want to do. What's something that takes a great deal of skill? Remember, th- you're becoming a business partner when you buy inv- by put any money in an investment because the definition of investing is to put your money into a, bi- a business enterprise so that you can make profits. Yep. So you are becoming a business partner. So if you hire somebody to do it for you, don't you want somebody that really understands business and what it really truly means to invest? So this is kind of like hiring a nanny for your newborn. You're probably you know, gonna dig in pretty well about this person's background, right? You, sure. There's a lot of unsavory people that you would probably not want to be the nanny of your newborn child. Yep. It's the same idea. You need to approach it, but we don't, right? Right? Like you would absolutely not put somebody, you know, with certain, you know, behaviors in charge of watching your kids, but yet you might put that person in charge of your investments, which is really, Interesting to me that we don't do the same level of due diligence. So I've come up with 13 questions. I just want to rattle off the 13 questions that I think people should be asking their advisor and and not letting their advisor wiggle out. Make them put the answers in writing. Yep. Because if they won't put the answers in writing or if they won't give you good plain English answers, Mm -hmm. probably don't want to work with them. I mean, that's just my opinion. Well, if somebody if somebody can't talk to you in a language that you can understand about what they're going to do for you. Yep. Or if somebody's not willing to put in writing what they're going to do for you, yep, or how they do it, then I don't think you should probably be hiring them to be your advocate for the for business, right? To be your business advocate.
0: Well, and before you you know rattle off these 13 questions, if you're listening in your car and you don't have a pen, please do not crash your car trying to write these down. Uh, we will put a link in the description with an email that if you'd like to send us an email, we'd be happy to send you these 13 questions so that you can digest them, go through them. So Travis, as you start to go through these questions, give you some things to think about. And before you even get into them, I was just thinking about the analogy. I think what is confusing is you talked about the going into the restaurant and having the one item 20 pages in a row. I think what's really hard is the surroundings we find ourselves in at that restaurant, right? We go in, it's a really beautiful restaurant. Everything is elegant. Everything appears to be nice, very professional. Maybe there might be other people there. So we're assumed that maybe they know something we don't. And you start to go through this menu and you see the one thing and you don't know whether you should get up and leave or stay because everything looks nice right? Versus the counterpart. If you go into a restaurant, it looks very shady and it looks like a crap hole. You're probably going to know you don't want to eat there, right? So (laughs) we just sometimes have have to be aware of our surroundings, but it's the pageantry of our industry that I think is so confusing because most wealth management, quote unquote, offices are really nice places. So you walk in, you're wowed, the, you know, your surroundings look really nice, but we want to give you these questions so that even if you find yourself in a really nice restaurant, you know what questions to ask your server. So let's go through
1: them. Yeah. So even if you don't understand anything about investments or anything about the financial planning stuff, that's why you're going to them in the first place. These are questions you can ask and you can just use your spider sense to tell yep. you are they BSing you? And again, the answers are plain English and you want to get them in writing. Some answers from a proprietary reason, and I'll explain those ones when we get there. Maybe they can't put in writing for you, but they should at least be able to explain it in broad terms. Yep. Number one, exactly how do you get paid? It's a great one. And a lot, of com- a lot of people out there, don't worry, you don't pay me. The companies I place your business with pays me. That doesn't make any sense because the company you place your business with takes your money and then pays them. So they're getting directly paid by you putting your business with wherever they tell you to put business with. So you are paying them. Yep. So they're getting paid by you and whether or not you make a buying decision, which means they're very interested in you hiring them. So you want to know exactly how they get paid. You want them to put that in writing. That's yep. not one that maybe they just tell you and you go, okay, because it's a very uncomfortable question to ask financial advisors who have conflicting ways of making money and they don't necessarily want you to always know about it
0: yep.
1: because it's an awkward conversation. Will the advisor have discretion? So Mr. Or Mrs. Financial Advisor, I'm going to turn over my investments for you and you're going to invest for me. Okay. Will you invest my money for me and buy companies? do you have to come to me for approval or do you have the authority to go and do it yourself? Mm -hmm. Why is that important? It's important because you don't know what you're doing. That's why you're hiring them. So if they don't have the authority to buy the investment for you, that means they don't know what they're doing because their firm's not allowing them to have the discretion of picking an investment for you. So ultimately what's happening is they're coming to you and asking you to give the final approval so that you can't sue them if the investment was wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's a sales gimmick. So if they're not taking discretion, essentially what they're saying is, I'm not taking liability because you're going to sign off on everything before I buy or sell it for you. So they have to answer that question. And if you are truly trying to get somebody who is a fiduciary, they have to have discretion.
0: Yep. Question
1: three. Who ultimately chooses the investments your money goes into? So I hire a financial advisor and they say, I'm going to run the investment program for you. I'm going to get paid 1%. That's what I get. And we do have discretion. And you say, okay, who's making the investment decisions? And they say, well, I make the investment decisions. And you say, okay, well, what do you invest in? Well, we invest in these separately managed accounts. What that means is they're hiring somebody else to actually make the investment decisions for you. They're making the decision on the investment managers. They're not actually an investment manager. They're actually going out there and they're hiring other investment managers to manage your money. They're not doing it somebody else is going to do that. They're, they're offloading it. So they're charging you 1% to get somebody else to do all the work. So are they, if they're an expert on investments, but they're saying, I'm not a good enough expert on investments. I have to hire somebody else to manage your money for you. Then how are they a good enough expert to pick somebody else to manage money for you mm-hmm. or to make your investments? They've already admitted, they don't know how to invest money. So now all of a sudden they're going to be an expert in picking other, you're probably at the same level that they are in, in, in comprehension Of you know analyzing an investment return, if they're just farming you out to somebody, if they say, "Well, so and so on the team does this," or the company actually invests your money, then why do you need the middle person? Why can't you just have the the company? What would the cost be if I don't have you? Then if I just go right to the company? Great question. What are you going to do for the one percent I pay you? So who ultimately chooses investments? Your money goes into. What happens if the advisor is unavailable or if something happens to he or she? Steve, you're my advisor, one-man shop or one-man team. What happens if something happens to you Yeah. or you're on vacation? What happens? Who do I call? Who do I go to? Who knows about my investment program? Yep. Who else gets paid? So you're going to make 1%. Who else gets paid? Well, that investment manager I I send your money to, they also charge 0.3%. Oh, so I pay you 1% and then 0.3%? Yep. But I don't get paid that. So I left that out. Yeah, but that's a cost. That's coming out of my money. I want to know who else gets paid. I want to know every single person who gets paid for the money I give you, or as, 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 as many layers as I can find. Anybody who's investing in mutual funds, there's at least two layers then, if you're working with a financial advisor. There's the financial advisor, and there's the mutual fund. At least two layers. There's a third probably involved called the broker-dealer, depending on how they buy those investments for you. So there's probably two to three layers minimum of people that are making money off of you. You need to know that. Well, think about, um, that in re- think about
0: that in real terms. If you went into your favorite retail store to buy a garment and there was a price tag and it said $50 and you thought, okay, that's not bad. You go up to the register and it rings up as $98 and you go, hey, where did the other $48 come from? Oh, well, Karen works in that section. So a part of that goes to her. Well, why didn't you disclose that? I want to buy that, right? Think about in real terms, right? Because we think of investing as this obscure thing that many of us don't understand, but put it in real life terms. If you were going out into the world and you were being tacked on extra dollars because of something that you weren't aware of, you would ask questions. So why wouldn't you do that with your investing? So, so why don't you give them what number question we're on and let's keep rolling.
1: All right. So we're on number six. Number six. This, this is the one where they may have to give you broader detail and maybe not as in, in detail because of proprietary information, but what is your investment selection process? And I want enough detail that I understand that you're actually doing some detailed work that the, the reason why you asked this question and I've seen it from, especially wirehouse advisors all the time, the company has an approved list. I pick investments off the approved list. That means that the company has a contract with the investment company to sell their products. The investment company probably paid them money to get shelf space. So, because it's on their list, that just means it's a proof product sale. Yep. That has nothing to do with whether or not you should buy it. That's sure. like you walk into the grocery store and yeah, there's a rotten tomato somewhere buried in the pile of tomatoes. It doesn't mean you should buy that one. Right. But it's yeah. there, right? Like, like no. like So what is your investment selection process? If they are an investment fiduciary, if they are a true fiduciary, not just like the surface level fiduciary, like I got to make sure nobody steals your money, but a real fiduciary. They're going to be able to talk to you until you get bored and tell them to shut up about how they select investments. Yep. And if they say, well, I don't select the, this is again, this is like a trick question. If they say, well, I don't select the investments, the investment manager selects the investments. Okay. Well then how do you select the investment manager? And when you do select the investment manager, how do they select the investments? Again, this would be like hiring a nanny. So let me get this straight. I hired you and then you subcontracted your nephew to watch my child while you're not there without asking me permission. Yeah, I'll pass. Yeah, not going to happen. Number seven, how often are the investments in your portfolio reviewed? And how often is your account worked on?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's great. huge one, especially on the percentage-based one, Yep. right? Because a lot of people will sell an investment to a client and they put you in there and they start making their fee. And the only time they look at that account ever again is if you call them and have a question, yep. and they'll say, oh, okay, maybe we should make some adjustments. Or maybe once a quarter or once every six months when they talk to you. Is that a portfolio or is that a collection of investments that they sold you so that it looks like you got a nice pie chart so you don't ask enough questions? Hmm. Investment por- investments are just like anything else, they're ever changing. This yep. idea that, you know, in today's day and world with the internet and the, how global the economy is and stuff, that, you know, you could go four, five, six years, and I've seen this without making any investment changes is beyond me. You know, whether it's trying to sell high and buy low or whatever it might be, but how often are you looking at my account? If somebody says to you, I have 500 accounts, I have 500 clients and I do financial planning for them all investments for all. How, how do you do that? Yep. What's your process to make sure that if there's a great investment, I get a shot at that investment Mm -hmm. and not just your largest clients. Talk to me about this. What is their investment review process? So a little bit different there. First, they select the investment. Then maybe they're looking at my accounts. But once they put an investment in my account, how do they review that investment on an ongoing basis to make sure I still own it? Or is it pretty much they went through the sales process? I bought it. So it's in there and they're just going to leave it in there until the horse dies. Like, what are you going to, like, what is the process you go through to make sure that that's still the right thing for me? How do you decide when to fire the investment? How do you decide when to buy more? And how automatic is it? Mm -hmm. What is the, so number nine would be, what is the account review process? So we talked about how often do you look at it? So you review my account. What does that mean? Talk to me about what an account review means, especially if you have multiple accounts. You know, if you're looking at my accounts and I've got multiple accounts, some of which aren't with you, and you're my de facto trusted advisor, you're giving me all my financial advice. Are you incorporating what's happening outside of this particular account into the recommendations you give me regarding that account? What's your process? What do you include in What do mm-hmm. I get for paying you? If I'm paying you 1% and you're outsourcing the investment management and you never look at the account until I call you, and I had a million dollars, I'm paying you $10,000 then to answer the phone for me. Yeah. Like, I will do that job. Anybody who wants me just to answer the phone for them for $10,000, I mean, essentially it comes up to about 10000 an hour probably. Sure. Right? Anybody who wants me to do that for them, that'd be pretty cool. Just answering the phone for $10,000 an hour. All right. I digress. Um, Number 10. I know, hard to believe. Uh, (laughs) You can tell I'm passionate about this part of it um, because I do think, I think people are essentially getting their money stolen from them. If you you start to ask these questions, it's the first all investment advisors are not bad, right? But how do you find the good ones? That's what this is about. Do all of, of the advisors clients have the same portfolios or investments? That's great. So, So we happen to know a particular advisor. It doesn't matter when you give them money, how much money you give them. They slam you and you get the exact same portfolio everybody else has got. It doesn't matter if the market's high, if the market's low, if the investments are high, if the investments are low, if they're, you know, it just does not matter, period. You're going to get the same thing everybody else has. Why? Because it's easy. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to pay anything extra for the technology. Everybody just gets the same thing. Don't have to pay attention. Just hit the rebalance button. Do you really, if you're paying $10,000 a year, on your million dollar account. Do you really want the same thing everybody else has, regardless of what's happening around you? For instance, if I gave you $10,000 at, right before the Corona market crash last year, you know, the Corona market causing the market crash, and somebody said, well, you know, the market's really high. We probably should wait on investing that. Or if somebody says, yeah, great money, slam it in there, start making, making some fees on this. What happened? One person didn't lose 40%. One person did lose 40%. And it was pretty common sense. The market was high at one point, you know, and then it went way low. Where should you put the money in when the market was low? So, I mean, there, there's some situations here where you don't want a robot. This whole idea, you know, and they had these online robo advisors and stuff. You just give them money and they throw it in for you. you, you there's some things you don't want a robot for. Yep. You don't want a, a robotic, you know, advisor that's just slamming your money into the market regardless of what's going on. You want yep. it to be thoughtfully deployed. Number 11, how do you manage the portfolios? So that kind of covers some of the other ones, but portfolios and individual investments within the accounts are two separate things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number 12, how many accounts do you manage? We talked about that for a second. I kind of mixed that and matched a little bit. But again, is this person capable of managing my account for me personally with my situation in mind, or am I just being thrown into the pile with everybody else? Yep. And does the advisor specialize in investing or in financial planning? And if they specialize in both, how do they possibly handle that? Mm-hmm. So listen, there's, there's not a lot of time. If, if you're working for 100 clients, you're doing financial planning for 100 clients. It's also hard to do investing, you know, really specialized investing for 100 clients. Yeah. Because the two topics are just too broad. So how does that person have time? What Are they using technology? Do they have bench strength on the team? Do they have other people behind the scenes doing some of the work? You know, are they just the relationship guy and then they farm it all out? You at least ought to know Mm -hmm. where's the extra expertise. I went to an attorney one time. We were working with a client and I said, this client needs to do some estate planning and they need to do some business planning. Who's the business attorney? Because I was dealing with the estate attorney. And he goes, I'm the business attorney. I'm like, no, 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 no. Who's the attorney that specializes with the business? You're the attorney that specializes with the estate planning. He's like... I do specialize with the estate planning, but I'll do the business stuff too. No, I want an attorney that specializes with business stuff, and I want yep. an attorney that specializes with estate stuff. Yep. So that's your 13 questions. If you ask those questions and really hold your advisor, and yes, it's uncomfortable, but think about it like this. Your money, that's your baby, right? Yep. Your 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 stability to provide, you know, and, and to achieve your financial freedom. Why would you risk that? Because you're afraid of making somebody feel uncomfortable. Who you're going to be paying a lot of money to take care of, you.
0: Yeah. Well, I think as we bring this one to a close, we want to, again, come back full circle and say not every person that deems himself a financial professional is bad or doing the wrong thing. We are basically trying to give you a filter for how you can make good decisions about who you let into this money business. You know, if you find that every fear is met with a product, you're probably being sold some stuff. So we want to give you these 13 questions. So again, not not to, not to put somebody on the hot seat, but to do it because maybe you've never thought about if you have a million dollars and you're paying 1% annually, you're paying $10,000 per year to somebody. We want you to be able to objectively stand back and say, is this relationship worth that? Or is it time for me to start looking for a different kind of relationship? If you can justify it and it makes sense to you, Albeit they're helping you do the things you want to do. But if you're not certain, and this has raised some questions, right? We've given you two things to think about, right? If you're eating in a bad restaurant, it might be a crap hole. Get up and run. Also, use your spider Official sense. These are, two, these are two very <laughs> real terms that you need to learn in life, okay? Your spider sense is very real. If you feel like you're being sold a bag of goods, you may be. So use these 13 questions. If you, if you heard them and you're driving and you want to know what they actually are, send us an email. We'll put it in the description. We'll be happy to send it to you. Right? We got one more conversation to talk about in terms of investing. Uh, we hope that these questions are things that can inspire you to go out and to live your best life because it's your money and it's your life. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this entire episode. Uh, we hope that this information has inspired you and empowered you to go out and live your best life. But let's be honest, you might have a question or two about some of the things we talked about today. If this is you, Travis and I are here to help in any way that we can. You can reach out to us and follow us on social media on Facebook at seedpg. You can send us an email, uh, info at seedpg.com. Just let us know in the email. This is in regards to Ditch the Suits, a question or topic you might want us to cover. Or you can visit our website, which is seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. Head up to that right corner, fill out that contact us button and just let us know in the comments that this is in regards to Ditch the Suits. If you have a question, a series of questions or anything we can do to help you on your journey to financial freedom, Travis and I are here to help. So again, it's your money and it's your life. You only get one shot at this thing. Our job is to make sure you get the most out of it. Thanks for being our guest. And until next time, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Ready to ditch the suits? Remember, it's your money and your life. For more information, visit SeedPG.com. That's SeedPG.com. If this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. And be sure to share with a friend.